This your boy Savon checking in from the Living Room Podcast. And I got a brand new episode for y'all, the people, for the culture. And I got a special guest. He's an Amazon best-selling author. He goes by the name of Darius Slaughter, man. And we talk about a lot, man. It's a lot to unpack in this episode. I don't want to give too much away. So y'all just check for it, all right? Another episode of the Living Room Podcast. I got a special guest joining in with me here. He goes by the name of Darius Slaughter, man. He's a he's a he's a uh, a author, and he's uh gonna explain to me some things he got in the works and what he got going for the future, man. So I uh, appreciate you locking in and joining me here. Man, I appreciate you having me. Always no a pleasure. No problem. No problem. And, you know, I was taking a look at your bio and everything you got going, and uh, I just want to dive right right into it. You Let's have it. this. This movement going where you're fighting against, um, you know, women with illiteracy or illiteracy in America. Can you expound on your project and the movement you got going with that? Yeah, the project is called the Beauty and Brains Challenge. So basically what we're doing is trying to make uh, smart sexy again. So throughout time between music videos, television, video games, and, and just generally uh, mass media, we've basically dumbed down. So we celebrate stupidity now. You look at the different TV shows, the different reality shows, everybody is, is crabby, they're nasty. We basically, even with the guys, we took, you know, when I was young, being a gangster, they looked up, so, you know, Al Capone and, and Bobby Ellsworth and all these different guys, right? And all these guys wore suits. And all these guys said, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. They were terrible people, but they were very polite. So somehow, some way, the idea of being a gangster was switched up and they think now being illiterate, ignorant, and inconsiderate is, means you're a gangster. You know, so the girls caught in, the guys caught in. So trying to break the cycle, we had to figure out where to break it. So we already know guys do anything to get behind a girl. Anything. I mean, we got guys wearing tights right now. We got guys doing the most on every level. So what if we make the girls smarter again? We make being smart sexy again instead of just being naked online. Because we have so many women out here that have degrees that are studied. Not, and, and many more that don't even have degrees that just open businesses that are entrepreneurs that had an idea and took it to the million dollar level, hundreds of thousands a month. And we don't ever talk about them. We talk about the girls in the music videos that are half naked. We talk about the girls that are cussing each other out and fighting each other and riding around in vans at All Star. This is what gives publicity. So Beauty and Brains is really simple. Basically, I ask the ladies to read one paragraph out loud. Uh, submit it, you can send it online. You can send it to my Facebook, send it to my Instagram. After that, I'll send you what I call a battle pack. You get a Beauty and Brains t-shirt, you get a dog sack. The fight against illiteracy is enormous. When I was locked up, there was a huge portion of individuals that really couldn't read. It is a staggering number of people today that are functionally illiterate. They know that a red light means stop. They know the stop sign means stop, and they can sign their name. And they might know a little bit in between. But other than that, they really can't read. Yeah, true, true. And, you know, so you built the motivation off your experiences with being uh and locked up to keep this movement going or, you know, what triggered you to like to stay consistent on, on keeping this movement going? You know, I, I work in certain industries with a, young lady, with a lot of young ladies that make a lot of money and they run through it and they don't have anything to show for it. You know, as, as a people and as a culture, we are one of the biggest buying bases, one of the biggest economic bases in the world, but we have no control of anything. True. You know, we support Johnny Versace, we support Gucci, we support Prada, we support all this stuff, but we don't support home. We don't support black designers, we don't support the neighborhood, we don't support our people. Because when our people own businesses, the first thing that we generally say is, can I get a discount? Can I get in free? What you gonna do for me? But we don't go to the mall and do that. Go to the mall and pay $700 for a shirt. No one is not gonna be a discount just because it has that brand. So in the process of me talk, speaking to these young ladies and figuring out that they're running through so much capital and what they admire, their idea of success is skewed. They have no clue what success really is. They are at where most people think it's success and they're lost. So in the process of trying to figure out how to get the guys back on track, how to get the girls back on track, females are the mothers of the earth, the queens. That's where all life comes from. So that's where Regenesis comes from. We start with the ladies. We get them to read. We get them to up their level. 
of creativity, their level of productivity, the level of what they will accept, because if they don't accept us being stupid, then we can't come to the table that way. We had to change it up. They tell us the only way they're going to accept us is we come with, with braids and we come with bald heads and we dress a certain way and they demand that level from us, then that's what guys are going to go to. There's always going to be a few that fall off by the wayside and that's life. But collectively, if we push the level up, there's going to be a lot of people that have to level up. We had to make smart, sexy again. And in the process, that'll bring the guys up to speed too. Definitely, most definitely. I like the idea of it. And, um, you know, I was looking up, you know, some information about you and I see you had a Amazon bestseller and, you know, you let, you titled it Hostile. Can you go into about what that book is really about and what, you know, motivated you to put that together? Um, Hostile is actually a testimonial. It is my memories over about the last seven years in the game on the wrong side of the law, doing the most, but it's an intelligent look at the game. So it's not a glorification and it's not a knock. I'm not telling you, oh, all this all glitz and glamour because no, it's a whole lot of bad things that come with the game. And I'm not telling you it's all bad, bad because everybody knows the good stuff that comes. It's about my mental motivations. It's about my decisions and then the consequences and repercussions of those decisions. Because people don't talk about the homie that's doing 20 and you gotta go check on his kids. The daughter, three, four years old, you got to go check on her and go check on his his baby mama. Now, what happens when his baby mama get a new dude? But you still got to go check on the kids. If, if you real like that, now most of these people now don't. The, the game is skewed now. Everybody is sideways. You know, there's no loyalty anymore. They don't check on, you know, they ain't trying to, try to sleep with the baby mama. Doing the most, trying to get with her instead of trying to check on her. Who's checking on your mom? What happens when your people go down and you locked up? But they don't talk about that side of the game. They don't talk about when you get in court and you had to sign for that time when they see their paper, the state of Texas versus, and it's your name, and all the cats that was up under you when you had all the money, all the girls that was blowing your phone up and laying up in your houses and your cars don't know you anymore. They already off to the next dude. Yeah, definitely. So definitely. I still, I started writing my memories down after I signed for my time in the county. Actually wrote one chapter. In Texas, they read your mail. So I had to hide the chapter in a letter to my brother and sent it home. So I wrote all 46 chapters and sent them home one by one, hidden in letters. And my little brother kept them. I was gone three years and nine months. So my little brother kept them and put them in a binder. When I came home, he gave me the whole binder back with all the letters and the whole book inside. So I had to go back and dig the book out. And so you used that, the few, and that, that was your first book you ever wrote yes, officially. Yes, sir. So, and that, you know, it birthed your, your, your author career, and now you have another one that you have worked yes. on. Can you can you tell me what motivated you for that, and can you tell the people the title of that book? Um, house, uh, the second book is called Hostel Two: Homecoming. Uh, Hostel Two is coming home is weird. It, it's a very strange process. A lot of cats don't make it through. A lot of people go in and have certain ideas, and I'm gonna go home and do this, this, and that. And the world changes. The world changes yearly out here monthly, weekly. You can look at cell phones, you know, we're on iPhone update 14.99 right now, and we'll be on 1500 by the end of the year. And <laughs> five years ago, we had Nokia phones. We had the phones completely different. You know, we still had buttons on phones eight years ago, nine years ago. So you come home and the whole world changes. Uh, on top of that, just trying to reacclimate to society, I had a whose baby is a situation. So a lot of guys go through that, you know, trying to deal with it, trying to be good guys, quote unquote, and the female is acting up and then we're always labeled the bad guy no matter what happens in the baby situation. The father is almost always labeled the bad guy. So I went through a situation, um, not to sell it short, trying to be the good guy. It, it was just madness all the way around. Mind you, I just came home. So I was really unstable at that point. I was really wild at that point. But going through that, whose baby is seeing what these fathers really go through, trying to go through the system and do it right and getting drained the whole time because it was just disrespect all the way around from the state on down to the point where you got to go get a lawyer to even talk to somebody because they don't even want to talk to you. And that's when you're trying to step up to see what's going on and make sure you're doing the right thing. They still disrespect you. So just homecoming in itself is like a whole task. There's a whole other world that people don't even understand. People say, oh, come home and do right and do this and do that. And on top of that, you're carrying this ex. So society is already rigged against you. They don't want you to get a job. To this day, I can't get a lease. You know, I have to go find a private person to lease from in order to get a dwelling and to go get a job and they pull up your record. Well, I've been I've been home 13 years now. Why is it still a problem? I did my time. I did my time. I came home. I've been off paper. 
So what's the issue now? Why am I not supposed to live a normal life? And you want me to be productive as far as paying taxes. You want me to be productive as far as clocking in and working. But then you want to limit my ability to be happy and enjoy life, the fruits of my labor. So why, you know, you have you want to treat me as a secondhand citizen forever? Yeah, you know, to me, I feel like we need more people like you to speak up about the hardships of this because it's not like people are oblivious to it. Um, we see it happen every day. If it's if it's not us personally, it's probably somebody we love, somebody in our family, a friend, you know, and you see them get incarcerated and they try to reacclimate themselves back into society and they're still not treated like a person that paid their debt to society. Um, which you basically just said, you know, literally, you know, you can get out after you served your time and you try to be a law abiding citizen, go get a job. And the first thing they ask on some applications is, are you a felon? Have you ever committed a crime? And in the back of your mind, you don't want to tell them that. But if you don't tell them that, then you still could be knocked out of contention for that job. And then if you tell them the truth, then you they'll still hold it against yep. you. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's like they say this is the home of the free, but it's really not because we, you know, as black as black people already, we have that strike against us. And if you're black mm -hmm. and and happen to be a felon of any way, you're still not treated like a a, a a human in America. So it's good that you get to share the light on shed the light on that. And I found found it quite interesting that you had your first book on your experiences while inside, and then the second book is the transitioning. Um, the hip hop community, more so than anything, has made it seem like you go in, you do your time, you get out, things back popping again. When it's not yeah. really like that. And so for you to share the experiences not. on what it is to transition back into society is, is not only big, but it, it's very real and telling to what an individual has to go through after going through that. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we glorify doing time now. We glorify doing time. We glorify doing time like everybody went to prison and was in there and, and was fighting and was gangster and all this and came home. A lot of these dudes go go to prison and, and hide. A lot of these dudes go to prison and curve and get and get laid down and come home broken. They hide it and they lie when they come home. Mm -hmm. But it's not where a lot of these cats want to be. They're not built for it. You know, even the street game is not for everybody. And you tell youngsters, I want to be like you. I wanna I wanna navigate. I want to truck like yours. No, you don't. I'm gonna go get a job, shorty. It's not for you. You're not built for this. Go get a job. You know, it takes a certain mind state a certain set of mind that's twisted and you lose a piece of yourself out there. You lose a piece of yourself, paranoid, 24-7, moving. You always have to move like somebody's trying to get you. Everybody's trying to get you. The police trying to get you. The Jack boys trying to get you. The dude that call you homie is trying to get you. Because he jealous behind a girl, a car, a bike, a dog, whatever it is that turned him, he'll do everything he can to get you at this point. He's trying to stick you. So you got to move that way. So you live your life paranoid 24-7. Your stress levels through the roof. They don't talk about all that. And then when they get the bing, and they don't even have money for lawyers. Now you got a court appointed. Court appointed works for the court. His job is to clear the courtroom out. It's not to help you. His job is to get you in and out of court as quickly as possible. What can I get you to sign for to get you off the docket? So you have a $400,000 car with a paper plate on it because nothing's ever in your name. You got renting this house $2,000 a month and then you go to court with a lawyer, with a court-appointed lawyer, you don't even have money for your lawyer. What's wrong with you? You had $80,000 worth of jewelry on when they busted you. How do you not have a lawyer? How do you not know who the right lawyer is? If you're going to do it, do it. We treat it as a business and my crew is a business. We knew what it was. Every day we get ready to leave the house on Grimey Mo. Hey man, it's risk versus reward. What you going to do? If you're not about this, man, sit it down, man. Set this one out. This is what it is. This is what we own tonight. This is what it is. It's understood. So when I went down, I, I wasn't personal. Like I didn't trip. It was business. This is business. If I'm a fireman, I risk getting burned. My policeman, I risk getting shot. If I cook in a restaurant, I risk getting burned up with some grease or cutting myself. This is a business. This is what we do. You know, I came up and didn't have choices. Now I have all the choices in the world. But I know at some point I'm gonna have to pay the piper. You gonna pay on the front end, you gonna pay on the back end. I had to pay for this sooner or later. So when I got knocked, it saved my life. My crew took a fair knock. 15 flat, 20 flat. 17 flat, gone. 23 hour day lockdown. Cause they nutty as hell. But that's the life, you know? 
My man came home and freaked out because we gave him an iPhone. It didn't have buttons. He flipped in the halfway house, met him, gave him some clothes, boom, here's a phone. I mean, I can't use this man where the buttons at. Freaked out because he couldn't pump gas. He was still trying to flip the little thing up, just going off like he had been locked up so long, he was gone. He was institutionalized. So we have kids now coming up, watching videos, listening to music. I pulled up on the way to the gym, car full of girls, two, three girls, about four kids in the back, windows down, singing a Percocet and Molly song. Every little kid under 10 years old singing it word for word. We made drug addiction a, a trend now. It's, it's good to be drug addicted now. Everybody want to be dope fan. You listen to the song now, dude, some rappers talking about it. That's how I cope. I'm going to pop a perk and do this and do that. You know, I'm not saying the way we came up was right. You know, I'm 49 years old. We came up rough. When I was young and you had this, that meant you was in the street. Everybody knew when they saw this ink. That's one of them dudes, man. Leave them dudes alone. Them cats, they, they out there. Leave them alone. They on something else. Now it's a trend. Everybody hit up. Everybody whole neck. I saw a little girl with a whole neck tatted up. Damn. Girl, you 19 years old. What did you do to, to do all this? Whole body tatted up. So we out here now, we made everything trendy. Bad Joe said it back in the day. He said, man, even, 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 even game banging commercial now. Everything commercial now. But then when they get that time and they go sit down, it's like, man, ain't nobody writing, ain't nobody calling. Yeah, that's that's what it really is. This is what you asked for. Now you gotta fight. Ain't no pistols down here. You gotta man up now. Scream in your neighborhood. Man, everybody is from, everybody from everywhere is the toughest person on earth. So I, I tell dudes all the time, and I don't want to offend the gay community at all, but I want to tell you something, man, it's a killer and it's a queer in every neighborhood. And I know some queers that's killers. You know what I mean? That will get down and box you and beat you to death or worse. So neighborhood geography does not define you as being the hardest person on earth because the city you come from. You go out of town claiming your city and nobody in your city even know you. Facts. When I'm, but, when I, you know, you said something important just now. Um, you mentioned that a lot of people want to be a part of the game, but can't accept the consequences. And thanks. the biggest thing that you touched down on is accountability. You said you knew what came with this when it was time to do the time. You sat down and did the time. The thing is, a lot of people are not willing to do it because at the end of the day, even though we're, we're set with disadvantages in America as black people, some not, some are, but for the ones that are hit with these disadvantages, life is about choices. So when you know you go in there, you make the choice to do this, you know what comes with it. That's most importantly. And when it happened, you took the accountability. I understand it all. I understand how people could be products of the environment or people just want to survive. Most of the stuff, uh, for the most part is survival and some people get sucked into the allure of the game of now i've already won i've survived but now i get addicted to that money i get addicted to that you can't tell somebody oh, yeah. who's making x amount of money a day to go work a nine to five because they'd be like man i make money that you make bi-weekly in days in a day or two you know what i'm saying in, minutes. in my case in minutes hours hours uh, my brother, when I uh, made parole, my little brother came to see me. My little brother, my world. God came to see me and said, you know, I need a favor. What you need? Anything. I'm, I'm hyped up. He just told me, you know, you made parole. You coming home. What? Yep. I had just had a real bad fight. So I thought they was going to revoke it. Mm -hmm. I had a real bad fight about a month and a half before my decision came back. So when he came, finally was able to visit. This is the first visit I had because I was on restriction for a month and a half. So he came, you know, you made parole. What? I'm hyped up. I need a favor. What's up? I need you to retire. What? What? Boy, you know how much money I make in the world? I need you to retire, man. I don't want to do this no more. I can't have you in here no more. So I laid it down. For my little brother, I quit. I laid it down. So I come home, and I'm working, scraping, trying to get on feet, doing what I had to do. It's crazy to me because I'm so used to making so much money. I got dudes dropping off car. I need a car. Dudes dropping me Cadillac, sitting on elbows. Boom, here you go. Take this. I come get in a few months, man. Get on feet. Boom, you need this, man. When you going back to work, man? I'm not. What you mean? Because, you know, to us, it's work. It's just business. It's an everyday business when that money is moving like that. But the thing is, you get caught up. And when you get caught up, it's not really about, like you said, it's not about surviving anymore. You get caught up in the money making. You get caught up in the business. 
It's like it's like the rapids. You can't get out. I hit a certain point where I was making a lot of money and nobody knew me. And that was the time right there to lock the brakes up. But at that point, people started noticing me. So I started making more money and more money. Now everybody knows my name. So the people that know my name, the good people know my name, I'm making money easier now. I'm making twice the money in half the time. But then now the Jack boys know. And the people that's scared of us talking to the loud man. They too scared to shoot us, so they want to snitch on us. And it's it's going back and forth now. So now we play the chess game. How long can we make it? How can we move? I'm switching vehicles two, three times a day. I'm going from the bike to the kick around car, the kick around car to the navigator, back to the bike, depending on where I'm going in the city. I'm switching vehicles. I'm playing a shell game constantly. I got a house. I got a townhouse. I'm jumping back and forth. I got a hotel room. We got a hotel room. We're talking about it in the book. We're talking about Brooklyn. We had rooms in the extended state for over a year and a half. And we would just shell game and move rooms. Everybody moved to the back row. Everybody moved to the middle row. Everybody moved to the middle, up front. Everybody moved to the left end. Just to have extra place to lay our head. I got a car there, a car at the townhouse, a car at the other house. Bikes are all three. So I'm jumping. And all this just to make it like it's stressful at a point. Like it's cool because you got the money, you got the girls. You know, I'm traveling, I'm doing whatever I want, whatever I want. But you have to pay for that at some point. And you know, man, it's just like if you saying that it speaks volumes because a lot of people still don't get it. And how you saying like it's glorified, it's glorified. Don't boy, I'm this, I'm that, or whatever. And then, but the real ones that experienced it, they had they fun with it, they had their ups and downs, the trials and tribulations of it. They sat down, and at that point, now all you got is time. When they throw that at uh, you, all you got is all you got is time now. Uh, and you now then have to reflect on what you did. For some people, the they part, reflect, they come out. Everybody that you did it to impress, 99% yeah. of the people that you tried to impress, that you fronted for, that you studied for, that you fed, that you made it through the hard times, paid bills for, forgot you the day you signed for your time. Facts. Forgot this, that by the six months, when you get locked up, by six months, you don't know who's going to ride with you and who not. They all gone. The letters come in the first month, visits and everything. You catch the chain, you hit the system. You get a couple visits here, you get some letters here. By four or five months, all of them gone. You know exactly who's going to be there for this run and who's not. Everybody else is gone. It's over. You fed them. You made sure their bills got paid, their lights stayed on, they drank out your bottles, they sat in your sections, they drove your cars. It don't matter. They gone. Until you make parole or you get ready to come home. We call that the IPO, the initial public offering. Soon as, soon as the word get out, hey man, so and so coming home, the letters start coming in. All the girls write, no, baby, I miss you. You didn't miss me. You was in Vegas last week with somebody. The homie saw you. What you mean you miss me? Oh man, man, I was gonna mess with you. What you mean? You got you tricking for like four girls right now. You put them in apartments and bought them cars. I know what's going on in the streets. I'm just not in the streets right now. I know everything is going on. <laughs> That's the crazy part, because you know everything is happening. You just removed from it now. Yeah. And so when you're in there, then you got all this time to just reflect and think because it's nothing but time. Some people find it in there and they, they self-destruct or some people find it and they utilize it. And so from the story that you're telling, you took that time and you reflect it and you put it in the book. And prior to even all of this, you, you had an interest in writing, correct? Correct. I had a magazine now. Actually, I had launched a motorcycle-based magazine, and it was already out when I got hit by the feds. Because I was actually hit by the feds, and they dropped the case back state. So I got hit by the feds. I had a motorcycle magazine. I ended up having to shut everything down while I was going to court. I knew I was going to get stretched. I didn't know for how long, so I ended up having to shut everything down. But I had been writing since high school. I won state in journalism. Uh, I had won multiple national contests. It was just something I always did. But I had issues internally within the house where like I was basically in the house, but not in the house and I had to eat. So I was working, working, working. The old man clipped me for a bunch of money out of my account because I'm originally from Indiana. I went on to my mom, my old man clipped my account for like 10 racks. I came home, I couldn't take the L. So I had to hit the block, I got my money. Like that's, that's car money, school money, whatever, that's my money. You know what I'm saying? Like I worked for that. 
So I tried the working phase. It didn't work, so I had to go the other route. So it is what it is at that point. So I caught my first case, went to boot camp, came home, did a whole probation thing, uh, tried to get, you know, went to school, did everything I was supposed to do, got a bum roommate, got hung out, had to get it again. So it's situations, and, and, and I'm not, and by all means, I understand. If anybody says, I understand, you get, sometimes you get put in situations that you just can't get around. They're untenable. They want you to go get a, a, a mortgage loan. They want you to get a payday loan and dig yourself in the hole $9,000 to where they own your car. Now you don't have a car. Are you trying to go get a family, family and friends? You know, the word family is overrated these days because the loyalty is gone. I see, I've seen family do more dirt to each other than strangers. I have enemies that respect me more than some people that call me friend because that's the people that snitched on me. People that ate off me. So, and you know, I'm loving the conversation we're having right now because we're talking about so many multiple things right now. Not only are we talking about the hardships of somebody coming out from doing the time and reacclimating back to society, we're talking about the choices that people make as far as taking the consequences or taking accountability, but we're also tackling the realism of what it is for people that are having the trouble of getting out trying to do good and some of them end up reoffending because they're not given these chances these are things that needs to be highlighted and talked Definitely. about because people know it goes on but what's being done to fix it we have all this talk about criminal justice reform or whatever well what what does that actually mean with no action you know where does the money go where's what, the money exactly I tell people all the time across the board everybody's a, i call them armchair activists everybody's an armchair activist you know the one thing george floyd did was it ignited the newer generation to get up and go out and, and, and make their voice heard and march and be seen. Now, the bigger part of that is ultimately that they're going to have to figure out a way to monetize that if they really want to affect change. Mm. You know, you're going to have to start buying businesses, but if you buy businesses and you start to buy production facilities at that point, then you get lobbyists because lobbyists, lobbyists run Washington. Everybody knows it's not your governor, it's not your senator. It's people behind the scenes that are throwing money and paying for their kids' school and the vacations, the behind Fiji and all that that run Washington, that influence the lawmakers, the lobbyists run the country. When you have money, then you're able to create that platform. But we have been tricked and duped so many times into giving our money to everybody that hates us. If a designer says that he made his clothes, excuse my language, not for niggas, we're going to buy more. Well, I'm going to wear it anyway. I'm going to give him $180 a shirt. What? But when the black-owned business come out, we don't support it. You know, I tell people all the time, the best and worst thing that ever happened to the black community was desegregation. Because we thought everything that came from the white community was better. So all the black businesses folded. The black community was super strong at that point. Yes, we definitely needed equality. We definitely needed better education. But at some point, we had to hold on to what we had as well because it's going downhill. When you go to the hood now, you got a Korean store, you got an Arab store, you got this store, that store. Their kids stay at home till they're 30. They give their parents their money. They don't move out till they're in their 30s. They have a lock on it on how to, you know, on how to gentrify and make sure they keep the money within the family and stay strong within the house running two, three social security numbers, all the money still coming back in the house, very, very respectful to their elders. We've lost that. We lost that in route to wearing gold chains and big cars. You know, it, it's so many people, that, the, the killer parts of me locked up was the guys that really didn't care about their kids until they got locked up. Man, I gotta get home, I got kids. You had kids in the world. You didn't go see him. What's your word? They worry about LeBron James. They worry about Michael Jordan. They worry about whoever, James Harden. But when you ask them about their kids, they don't know anything about them. What's your son's favorite food? Man, I don't know, man. His mama be tripping. I didn't ask you about his mama. I asked you about your son. What's your daughter's favorite color? Man, I don't know, man. His mama be tripping, man. What they got to do with your daughter's favorite color? I didn't ask about their mama. Did not ask about their mother. I asked you about your child. What is your child's favorite food? What is your child's favorite color? What does your child like right now? I don't have kids, you know, I played the game rough. I'm 48. 
about to be 49 this year, never been married, no kids. But these cats, man, seven, eight kids, and that's where the flip comes in because they come home and they have to feed those kids. But the system is, is simple. You can't go to Popeye's and make chicken, fried chicken, and feed nine kids. Because when you come home, your child support accrued the whole time you're locked up, whether it was a year or it was 11 years. So now they want back child support. Baby mom hopefully had a job and you had a baby with somebody that had sense. But if you didn't, she probably didn't either. So if she's on housing, if she's on food stamps, WIC, whatever it's called, I don't really know, whatever it is, EBT card, whatever it is, the state wants all that money back. All that's going towards your child support. Every time the baby got sick, it worked and had to go to the doctor. All that dumped back towards you. So now you come home and you're supposed to go fry chicken or go work in this little in this little factory job for $8 an hour and somehow, some way, take care of nine kids. And when them babies look at you and say, hey, daddy, I want, I want, I want. Kids now, no brands. Not like when I was young, it was Lincoln Logs and Lightbright. Kids now want Jordan, Xboxes, PlayStation 5s. Don't bring something generic home. <laughs> you don't hear about it. Yeah. Little kids, serious. Now, I saw a little kid the other day having fit them off. These not the some, some 95s? What? Whoa, had a meltdown in store. These are not the 95s. I want the retro 95 something. Whoa. Little man couldn't have been six. Crazy. And you know, there's so many topics to tackle with this, man. But one of the things I do want to highlight, you said prior to going in, you had a magazine. You know you was always interested in writing. You held that talent. That's God-given. Nobody could take that away from you. In your time of being locked up, I'm sure you're not the only person with talent that was within. Within your experience, how was it with other inmates that had talent? Did you realize the amazing talents that others had while you was in there? Or were you just like, you know... I admit, you know, on a broader side of, you know, it's kind of unfortunate because they are locked behind those walls and they can't display it. But, you know, on a broader side of me looking at it, what kind of talents did you see within some people while you were on the inside? But I saw amazing talents in people uh, physically, mentally, artistically. Some of the best athletes I've ever seen were locked up. You know, guys, six, four, 350 pounds, flat footed dunking basketballs running four, four, forty. You know, easily NFL material. Had they stayed on the straight and narrow. Guys, artistically, as far as drawing or putting together different things or just building things, building something out of nothing. The guys in there that are tattooing, that are taking clock radios and building tattoo machines. You know, who, which one of you figured out you could take a radio and turn it into a tattoo machine and make it functional and then do amazing art on top of it? with rudimentary materials, making ink out of hair grease and burnt paper and sending out work that's complimentary to any of the major shops out here, minus colors. You know, just amazing hand skills and depth and drawing. Um, some business people, you look at some of these organizations that these people ran, and I've met some of the smartest people I've ever met in the world on the wrong side of the law that are making millions, literally making millions of dollars a year and able to evade, escape, and stay off the radar because they stay away from the dummy, you know, layered out to the point where you never see them. But you know who they are. If you know, you know. Most people don't. And these people walk by you like everyday Joe on four, five, ten businesses. And nobody really knows how they came up or how they maintain and sustain, but this is how they do it. But supremely intelligent. You know, intelligence can play you into a corner sometimes. A lot of these guys they think they're smart, really aren't. They're smart. They think they're doing something new. It's all been done. It's all been done, minus the computer stuff. And, and, and right now, it happens so fast. For everything they make on the computer, they find a way to get around it. Within days, I work for a corporation who just survived a cyber attack. Try to come in through the emails. A billion-dollar corporation, they try to come in through the emails. I know guys that work computers, you know, they were inside that knew stuff about computers and you go to class and see TDC is very unique. The Texas Department of Corrections, the Texas prison, when you go in, they give you a test to see what you did in the world, what your 
education level is, and they basically send you to do what you did. So if you were a diesel mechanic in the world, they would send you to a unit to work on diesel trucks in TDC. If you work high lines out here and you got a case and go to prison, you work high lines in TDC. They'll put you on a high line crew. You'll go whatever unit has high line problems and fix high lines. If you are a carpenter, if you are a cook, if you worked in electronics, they'll send you. It is the only self-sufficient prison system in America. They grow their own food, they make their own clothes, they make their own brooms, they make their own furniture. So it's it's modern day slavery to the fullest. You know, I had the opportunity to work because I deal with dogs. Well, you already know I deal with dogs. That's my thing. Some people knew me, put me in a dog kennel. So working with the Man Packs, which is actually the third book that'll be coming out, because it's a whole different world out here when you see modern day slavery up close. But I watch the guys pick cotton. So people don't know cotton only grows about three feet off the ground, four feet tops. You had to duck walk to pick cotton. Cotton has sharp barbs. You get your hands cut. So in Texas, you have a high rider, which is a CO on a horse with a 357, AKA overseer behind 13 inmates and they're picking cotton. The sack is 13 and a half feet long. They had to fill that sack to go in. And they move down the line in sets of 13 with a high rider behind them, AKA overseer. That's sobering when you watch, sit up and watch that, when you see it. Picking cotton, picking potatoes, picking corn, whatever. <coughs> it, it's crazy. And that's here today, right now. People have the mistaken idea that the civil rights movement was like forever ago. The 60s is not that long ago. I was born in 72, so 12 years before I was born, the civil rights movement was at fever pitch. I'm far from free. I'm not my, I'm not my grandparents. I'm not my great aunts. I move around just fine. So you figure 10 years older than me, they were still out there getting bit by dogs, getting hit with water hoses and beat half to death just to sit at the lunch counter. People's perspective on the civil rights movement it seems like it was eons ago because of media, because of television, because of movies. And we've come leaps and bounds as far as financially and the amount that actors get paid and being in the offices. But the glass ceiling is still there. And what you have to remember on a lot of this stuff is the people that run corporations are 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. These are the major players in corporations. These are the people in the 60s that were teenagers out here beating people and hanging people. And it's unfortunate because, like, I, I, I would love to think about, uh, to be right about what state it was, but it was just something recently when they passed the law about banning slavery. And I know um, there was a black politician, he's a known black politician, who actually voted against the law. Yeah. But voted for in favor of the law. You know, and it's just like, how are we so, how, how first of all, it's crazy that in America that slavery still exists. That's number one. The the second thing is the people that voted against it, I mean, voted to still keep it in place. What in your mind made you think that was okay? What makes you think that? And one politician, he said, he didn't think it still exists. How do you not think it still exists? Because it's economic slavery. It's economic slavery. Slavery comes in many forms. There's yeah. a million somebody down. You have caste systems. You have economic slavery. You have slavery as far as the system, as far as we keep these people locked into this welfare system. We keep the school systems dumbed down to the point where only the few that are super talented and super apply themselves can get out. And everybody else falls to the system. We send them to the military. Fodder, front line, go to the military so we can send you somewhere and get knocked off or come home with PTSD and then we won't take care of you. We, you know, how many veterans are in the streets? They went and fought for this country, put their lives on the line, came home mentally and physically damaged and were discarded, basically. Okay, we're done with you. Good luck. Yeah, and it, it you know, it exists in many different forms, like you said. Even, a, you know, and the crazy thing about it is the prison systems is the number one place where it is actually legal in the world. Oh yeah. Um, 
because they'll have you do all this manual mm-hmm. labor and they'll pay you cents for a job that outside of the walls will be 60 something thousand a year or something like that mm-hmm. for any other individual. And you see that the disproportionate rate of black men locked up for the same crimes of white men or other uh, or white women or black women, whatever, you see how the harsher sentences are laid out. So not only are we affected by that and that sense of it, but you're getting this free hard work and labor. And it's a shame that we have so much talent behind those walls because there was the choices that they made that weren't the best. And some of it was out of survival. Mm-hmm. And some of them were just people were knuckleheads, man. Like, yep. um, and like I could talk about it with my generation. I'm 30 years old, but mm-hmm. I look at I look at jits under me, and some of them grew up in cul-de-sacs, grew up in nice suburban neighborhoods. And, and now I want to be they want to live, Yeah, they want to live that life. So at, at this rate, you're laying the groundwork already with what you're doing because the whole thing about just getting somebody to pick up a book could change a life. I oh, know when I, was, when I was younger, I used to love to read. I used to Me love too. to read. Um, I used to love to write. I used to create my own books and mm. staple them and give them out to my classmates. You know, I used yep. to do stuff like that in elementary. And as I got a little bit older, my the books start to become not so interesting to me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. School was fine as to the point of, I like the aspect of socializing with my friends, the girls, all that. But school stopped becoming interesting because now you have these teachers that don't even know how to connect with us and to get this material off with us. And it's kind of messed up because we only have one job. For me, I only had one job. I was to go to school, get good grades, come home, make sure I do what I need to do around the house. We have that one job. For others, it's not just that. Some people come from households where they're single households, um, struggling, and they now have to play the role of the father in their household, meaning that they have to make sure their siblings is fine, cooking them stuff while mom is out doing that sort of stuff. And then it gets so to a point where and this is just this is just one situation out of many um mm-hmm. this this is how i can see how it happens um now when you start coming into these responsibilities as such a young person now the survival aspect comes in on it and school becomes so less interesting and now it leads you to that path and like i said if, if you just find that one thing to focus on it could do a world of help and what you're doing right now with um encouraging um people to read and getting away from illiteracy it's it, it they they always used to say um there's this old term you put something in the book that's the way you could hide from you know hide a lot from an individual you know yeah and you could literally learn you know we have the internet now which a lot of people can now have the choice to have audio books they now mm-hmm. have the choice to to have these tablets where they could read from there um, you can get on YouTube and practically learn how to do anything. And so right. it's too many, it's it, it's just too many resources for that to be the the case. I mean, I know everybody don't have the resources. All neighborhoods ain't the same. Everybody ain't growing up the same. But for the most part, there's no excuse why some of us can't get on track when we do have those resources. And what you're doing, no. you're, you're laying down a blueprint to help that. And that's what I did. Because you did it. You lived it. Um, and you're able to talk about it and you're able to help drive people to steer straight, you know? Yeah. So you know, it's the will. You, yeah. you can do anything you want to do, literally. Like I, I work, I went from convict to corporate because I chose to, because I put in the time. I put in extra hours. You're gonna have to work twice as hard, you're gonna have to work twice as long. I have several business adventures that will kick off this year. Uh another major business venture. Um, we're on uh we can't talk about it just yet, but the other guy, he did time too. And literally our whole lives have changed by the end of the year. It's it's crazy when it moves and when it kicks off, it moves a mile a minute. But, but this guy did the same thing. I mean, he built a whole tour bus into a tattoo shop. Dope. You know, he said he was going to do it. He had just come home when he told me and he did it. You know, he put all his money towards it, all his time, all his energy. Like you said, went on YouTube. He changed the engine out itself of YouTube, you know, it's amazing what you can do when you apply yourself, but the problem now is people don't want to work. This new, a lot of this new generation is just lazy. They want everything handed to them. And what they fail to realize is the street game is hard work. It's hard work in the streets. There's no downtime. 
There's no off days. You don't want to work a job that's a nine to five, or, but the street game is 24 hours a day. You it's get more work it. than a corporate America job because not exactly. only, not only exactly. do you have to, you're doing what you do. Now you have to be on the lookout for everything that's coming in the direction. You have to look all the time, you gotta, everywhere you go. Because as people say, there's rules to the game. There's, to be honest, there's no rules to the game. Not anymore. There's no, there's no honor among thieves. There's no loyalty. There's no G code. You know, it's that's all done. It's dead. I seen some of the stiffest dudes in recently. Some of the stiffest dudes that's out here doing the most get touched and turn around, and try to call law. Somebody, I'm calling folks. Like, Wait a minute, you've been out here doing dirt for decades. You gonna call the police now? You find you finally got touched. Somebody finally touched you. Now you want to call a lot? Whoa, wait a minute. What part of the game is that? You know, the, the street code said, you know, we, we disagree, we disagree to the point where where there's altercation, there's altercation. Whether if it goes from fists to knives and guns to the point where somebody don't go home, and that's what it is, but it stays in the streets. There was never a point where I picked up the phone and called 911. There was never a point where it crossed my mind. This is the life. This is what you signed up for. Now, by the same token, civilians were civilians. Your wife, your kids, your little brother, if he's in school, is untouchable. He is not a part of this. She is not a part of this. You're home. I never understood the whole drive-by, shoot up the house thing. I don't have a problem with your house. I don't have a problem with your car. I don't have a problem with your dog. I have a problem with you. So I'll deal with you. I never understood the whole ride-by, shoot up the whole house thing. That was wacky to me. That was ridiculous to me, man. You got grandmas, kids, daughters. What they do to you? You know, I never got it, but everybody was raised different depending on who you were raised around, who you're taught by. See, everybody was supposed to have an OG. And you and people say, oh, that's gang stuff. No, it's not, because you had somebody in your neighborhood that you talked to. They sent you on the right path and told you to go play basketball and play football and mind your mom and act right, or they sent you down the wrong path, but you had somebody. Whatever the title was in your neighborhood, you had somebody you talked to. It might have been your uncle, it might have been your daddy, your daddy might have been the person that told every kid in the family. It might have been your grandfather. But everybody had somebody they talked to. And it was up to those people to instill those morals into you, to instill that compass into you to say, this is right and this is wrong. This is There's certain things I, I will not do. I've never done it. I never will. Just because that just does not fly. You know, simple stuff, as far as when I sit at the table, I don't drink out of straws because that's how I was raised, in the streets. I don't. People, what are you doing? Uh-uh. No, I throw it on the table. Any any of my bartenders know better. They give my drink liquor and ice. That's it. But it's other things that clearly we won't talk about online that I mm -hmm. see and I watch people in the way they move. And and all these dudes that people glorify and they want to be like, you know, you can go online and Google. And you'll see whole little flow trees. He snitched on him. 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 They snitched on each other. But they make songs about these dudes. This is who you're making songs about. This is who you want to be like. But they got a thousand years time collectively, and they all snitched on each other. And this is who you want to model your life after. Yeah, so, you know... So what you're saying is just speaking values, man. Like we know, we know the conditions of environments people come from, but for the most part, we want to, we want to make you, we don't want you to go down that road. We want you to steer straight. And if you have talents, man, apply that talent, apply it get that knowledge in you, man. Like, you know, any way possible, man. So what you're doing is big and you are living and walking testimony of it as well. Um, Can you, can you get into it? Any things that you have currently gone or any things you want to put out there oh, yeah. for, the future for the people? Yeah, definitely. Um, Hustle 2 is going right now. Um, we have, as far as the second book should be released late summer, we push back a little bit because we have a bunch of stuff coming up and we want to kind of stagger things out. We don't want to hear anything with a bombardment. Um, there will be what we call a, hustle, a strong on podcast, possible by Hostel, and a new entity coming out. We'll be talking about bikes, dogs, uh, just everyday stuff, man. But it'll be a lot of stuff that people just kind of need to hear. Just kind of life stuff. Like this, you're out here in these streets and you're doing this, this, and this. But do you realize this is where this came from? You know, do you realize this is what you're doing? This is what you're putting out. 
Because a lot of times when I talk to young men or even young ladies, and I pull up to the side and say, hey, this, this, and this. I don't know if you ever thought about it like this, but let me put something in here real quick. And they're like, man, I never even knew that. I never even thought about it like that. And then they adapt their behavior. So it's not that they're doing it just to do it. They just didn't know better. A lot of people are ignorant of this stuff, and that's what leads them to it. And some of them know better and still choose to go down. Oh, road. yeah. Oh, you'll always, you'll always have that percentage. Like I said, for me, yeah, like I said, for me, when I got to the point where school became a little bit just, you know, where I wasn't interested anymore, I started finding other things about it or whatever. And when I, you know, I did knucklehead stuff or whatever, but for the most part, I had enough, you know, I had enough people that was around me that got in trouble or ended up dead that I was like, let me go do something. I went off to college. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and then from there, it's just like, I no, shot for stars a, ever since then. It is a talent to be able to learn from other people's mistakes. Ultimately, yeah. above and beyond anything with hostile, my goal is to let my mistakes and the mistakes of my peers and my brothers and my comrades be the mistakes of these youngsters coming up. Read the book. And see what it is. This is what it is. I got everything you ever thought about getting. But this is what comes with it. You can't have one without the other. You're going to get both. Trust me. My SAT was high. My ACT was high. I got a seal file. The doctor said I was a criminal mastermind. So, you know, it, you you probably, you may be smarter than me, but it's probably not. Now, that's not. That's not a knock. I'm just being honest. In the streets, I came up under technicians, people that were technical that did this and made millions of dollars. Because you can't be an idiot doing that type stuff, though. No, but, but having a degree but, but, don't mean you're smarter. I, I went to college with a whole bunch of with, I, I went to college with some idiots, like educated yeah. idiots is what I would call them. Yeah, well, you, you have street smarts and you have book smarts. Exactly. You have street smarts and book smarts. And I know some people that are book smart and, and, and run out and run run the car with no oil and blow the engine up. They didn't know to get the oil changed in the car. And I know some people that are street smart and have no book smarts whatsoever and can barely read and make billions of dollars a year. It goes both ways. But ultimately, man, uh, the main goal, the main message is to be smart. Think about the consequences and repercussions of your decisions yes. because they will kill your whole life. You yes. can make one mistake and it will haunt you the rest of your life. Because I, I made a mistake at 19 and haunt me to this day. I'm 49 years old. 30 years later, when I go to get a house or I go to get a lease or I go to open a business and anywhere that runs my information, I got to sit here and have this conversation about a case that came up. They can't get in the file, but I got to have this conversation. Just because of the wording that comes up, everybody freaks out. That's 30 years. Most of these youngsters weren't even born then when I caught this case. But it haunts me 30 years later. And it will until the day I die. It's going to pop. And I have learned to work around it. I have learned to put myself in positions to succeed and to excel and to thrive. But it's hard because I see guys with the same background as me and they can't make it. They're, they're, they just do bad. They're doing bad. You know, I try to push them and, hey, do it this way and do it that way. And they're either not mentally able to grasp the path that they have to take to win they're not physically or mentally committed to that path to win, but they just don't make it. And I don't understand why, because this is how I'm geared. I move a mile a minute. I'm, I'm about to be 49. I move a mile a minute, which is probably why I'm single, because they just can't keep up. I'm always on the go. I'm always running. But in order for you to make it with that X, you got to go twice as hard all the time. Thanks. So you put yourself in a position for a little bit of glory, a girl, a baseball cap, some tennis shoes, a piece and chain to have to overdrive yourself for the next 40 years or until you die in order to make it. And you have to weigh those consequences. Is it really worth me having to do what I have to do this route when it's so much easier that way? It may take me a little longer to get that chain and I might not get that girl, but at the end of the day, when I'm actually trying to build something that lasts, something with legacy, is that really the girl that I'm going to build my legacy with? Yeah, man, it's, it's a joy speaking with you about this, man. You brought a lot of realism, and I hope people take heed to what you're doing and what, you, what you're speaking, because like I said, you, you've been there, you, you did that, and now, you know, you, you're giving that knowledge back, you know, as far as the positivity and 
leading them to doing things the right way. And I'm looking forward to everything you got coming in the future, man. I appreciate you talking with me here at the living room. Man, I appreciate you having me. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. It, it, major media right now is in a, in a whitewash phase. You know, even with the book, it's hard to break into mainstream media because they're scared of it. People mm -hmm. say it's too real, it's too raw. You shouldn't have wrote this or you shouldn't have wrote that chapter or you shouldn't have said this. This is the life. You can't fix the problem and find a solution if you water down what the problem is. If you want to fix this virus that's out here, you have to look at the wrong virus. This is exactly what it is, piece by piece, stage by stage. Then you break it down and fix it. So I can't water down the issue and then expect you to understand it or ever find a solution to it. And that's the problem. A lot of these people, they want to cookie cut and say, oh, we can fix the problem. We can do this and we can do that. And, and, and Michelle Obama never went hungry. She never slept on the floor. Some of these kids, when they wake up in the morning, they can't eat. And they got brothers and sisters, like you stated, they're the oldest and nobody in the house can eat. They're going to do what they have to do to put food on the table. KRS-One put out Love Is Gonna Get You in what, 88, 87, 88? And he was talking about the same thing. He said, I got rice, beans, and bread on my shelf. He said, I got two pair of pants with my brother I share. That was 88. It's 2021. And the same thing is still happening. So... It hasn't changed. The only thing that changed was the faces and the places. You got regentrification. They're kicking people out of the hood now. Building condos, kicking everybody out. Where are they supposed to go? Social Security can't cover it. You had your house for 40 years. Now you got to leave. You're homeless now because they regentrified. They took two plots, put in six condos, said they charged 300000 a condo, and kicked everybody in the hood out. Raised all the property taxes, kicked everybody out, built some more. You know, this is this is how they play. But that's like we said, that's where the slavery thing comes in. That's how they flip it. Here in Texas, they went all the way to the water, built all the suburbs, ran out of space. So they went back to the hood downtown and started kicking people out. We raise property taxes. There's always a way to get around it. So we had to be as smart or smarter in order to come up and to equalize the playing field. And in order to monetize our dollars, we had to read. We had to be able to understand how money moves. We had to be able to understand how industry moves. We had to be able to understand that, hey, if we don't spend money over here, they're going to have to listen to us. They're going to have to respect it. I come in the NBA. They know where their money is. The NBA knows where their money comes from. So when they came out in the bubble with Black Lives Matter on every shirt, they knew where their money was and they respected it. This is where our money comes from. This is the majority. When they got mad at Nike, and Nike sponsored Kaepernick, and everybody got mad, and the man, the comedian said, you know what? Only black people buy $300 tennis shoes. Them old white men that's mad at Nike are buying Air Monarchs for seventy for $44.99 at Ross. He said black people buy Vapormax. That's $300 a shoe. We are in line. I know guys that have shoe apps that tell them when the shoe is going to drop, and they drop $400, $500 a week on tennis shoes. We do that. That's our monetary power. And it showed in the NBA, it showed in the NFL to a certain extent. God bless George Floyd. May he rest in peace. But his death ignited a whole different level and a whole generation to step forward and use their voice. Now, if they figure out how to monetize that, it'll be a whole other game then. Yeah, and not only that, if we bring both generations together who are doing the same thing and all of us doing the groundwork with each other, that will do a lot as well. Instead of, you know, we pointing the faults of what generation and, you know, whatever is like the, it's going to be us. That's going to change this from the inside. And that's all it's going to take. I don't, man. I don't have a problem talking to you because I'm a knucklehead. I'm a reformed knucklehead, but I'm a knucklehead. We speak the same language. You know, I can talk up, I can go to corporate meetings, I can talk to the mayor, I can talk to the police, I can talk to whoever. I can come out of the shirt and I can talk to whoever, wherever. I can walk on all fours. <laughs> I can be a silverback whenever it's necessary. And, and, and to me, it's love. I see the youngsters master, but that was me. I know every youngster I see that's knucklehead. I knew 10 dudes like him and I can call their names. This is the wild card right here. He nutty, man. That's A1. 
You know, that's A1. That's Satan. That's so and so. That's him right there. I can tell by his body language. I don't have to talk to him. That's him. See the dude in the back, the quiet dude. That's the fat man. That's the brains right there. He's sitting in the back. He don't even want to talk to nobody. He got his drink. He watching everything. He barely drinking. He watching everything. That's the fat man. I know him. I know all these dudes. So when I talk to him, I'm like, look, youngster, do what you do. I'll never tell you not to do what you do. You're a grown man. But understand, you're going to have to be strong enough to carry that weight on the back end. It's easy to carry it on the front. The glitz and the glam, the girls, the cars, the jewelry. When you got to carry it on the back end, when you sleeping on that cot, when you eating that slop, when they got you locked down, you don't know when you coming home. You call home and, and baby mama don't answer. The dude answer the phone. When you call and talk to the kids, talking about who is this, you put yourself in that position. And it's so hard on kids now, man. The world is so whacked out. Pedophilia, they're talking about it. Oh, it's a sexual preference now. If you have kids, you have to make sure you're here to protect your kids. Kids are victims now. Kids are prey. I can't count the girls on, on hands, feet, and toes that I've met that have been abused, molested. So if you have kids now, you had to be on guard 24-7, everywhere, all the time. You had to teach your kids how to protect themselves. You know, my, my, one of my brothers owns a self-defense gym. And they have a kids class. Teach them how to break chokes. Teach them how to break bear hugs. Teach them how to break out everything to get away. You know, we had to start teaching our children to protect themselves. Teach our women to protect themselves. Learn how to protect yourself. You can still twerk. You can still go to club and drink 1942. But if somebody chokes you, how do you break the choke? How do you break the bear hug when a dude grabs you? How do you break if somebody grabs you by your wrist or grabs you by your arms and tries to snatch you? How do you break it? Because if you watch the videos, they're snatching people from H-E-B right now. Snatching people from Walmart. So we don't teach ourselves the things we need to know to survive in this day and age. We're too busy. We're, we always fall for the banana in the tailpipe. We look for the glitz and the glamour and, and what's shiny and what's cool. We don't look for what's necessary. In this day and age, survive what's necessary is safety, security. We need economics so that we can build a platform so that we can get some power and some say-so in what goes on. Besides what comes out in the mall and how much they charge for a shoe. Then when the election time rolls around, they come to us because they want us to vote for them. You had to come sit down with us and ask us what we want now. And now it. we'll tell you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we'll tell you what you need to do in order to get our vote. And then we have enough power to enforce it if you don't do what you say you're going to do and you renege on it, you won't be in office the next round. I guarantee you. Yeah, so it starts with us. It starts with us laying the groundwork and, you know, in any way that we can. Because, like they say, it takes a village. You know, that's that's an old saying that still applies to this day in 2021. It takes Definitely. a village. So, even more. Even more now. Yeah. Because the village is so spread out. And there's so many influences on the outside. So, yeah, the, the groundwork starts with us making it happen. You got your book out uh, that's currently out still, uh, uh, Hostel. Can you tell people where they can get that? Uh, you grab it on Amazon right now, um, Hostel, an urban tragedy. Looks like this when it comes up. There's two. This is the second edition. It was just released about four months ago. So you can grab it. Um, knock it off there. The ebook is on there as well. Second edition ebook is on there as well. Should be dropping audio book here shortly. Has some technical difficulties. That's a whole nightmare right there, but we'll get into that another day. Politics and all that behind that is crazy. Um, working on, we should have Hostel 2 homecoming release in the summer. And just running and gunning, enjoying life, pushing beauty and brains. I should have a bunch of releases by the weekend. I think I had like 30 releases on deck. Young ladies from several different sororities are stepping up to take the beauty and brains challenge saying they're going to be future leaders and they're going to push the envelope. So finally, because a lot of, a lot of ladies were scared to read. A lot of ladies, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Well, no, I, I tried it and they got nervous. Which is understandable. Everybody is, is 
critical to themselves and doesn't want to be under public critique. But at the same time, we had to start changing the rotation somewhere. We had yeah. to change the direction of the water. And right now, the, the rapids are going the wrong way. <laughs> We're moving in the wrong direction. Yeah, we definitely got to get everything back right, man. I appreciate you checking in with me here at the Live Room Podcast. Looking forward to what you got going for the future. Um, are you involved on social media in any way? Yes, sir. You can find me on, follow Instagram, you. on Instagram at Hostel Book, Facebook at Hostel Book, and Twitter at Hostel Book. Got it. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Man, I appreciate you having me. All right. <laughs> I appreciate y'all for locking in with me here at the Living Room Podcast. Special shout out to Darius Slaughter, man. Y'all check out his new content that he's going to have coming for y'all. Any new books in the pipeline, all that. Check him out at Hostile Book on IG. And make sure you follow your boy, yes, me, at J-A-S-H-A-A-D-904. That's Jashad904. And that's on Instagram, man. And I've been appreciating all the support, all the likes, comments, all the feedback, man. It's great. And I'm going to keep the new content coming. So just be on the lookout for all new things I have down the pipeline, man, because I do it for y'all, the people, for the culture, all right? So remember, before you come in the living room, take your shoes off.